Hey everybody, it's Adam Shartoff. I just want to give a quick message before we start the show. Filmwax Radio just launched a Patreon account. You can find it by going to patreon.com slash filmwaxradio or just go to Patreon and search Filmwax. It'll come right up. Rewards start at $3 a month. You know, it's taken uh, 10 years for me to get this together. And I'm finally, if you're a regular listener of this show or you love to support independent film and shows like mine, which are an extension of that, please consider contributing. The amount of time and resources required to do a show like this, plus the YouTube show, is extensive, far more than you might might think. And so, like a lot of other people, I'm just sort of saying, if you want to show your love for the show, I would appreciate it. And there's all sorts of wonderful, wonderful rewards. Of course, additional content that nobody else is going to see or hear, and much, much more. If you just, again, visit patreon.com slash filmwaxradio and consider it. That's all I'm asking. Thank you very much. And now, on to the show. Hey everybody, it's Adam Chartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, June 25th, 2021, and this is episode number 674 of the podcast. I just need to thank some new Patreon followers, subscribers, some new Patreon subscribers, patrons of the show. Uh, I want to thank Sydney Stern, Holly Kulka, Marion Brown, uh, who joined Jim Infantino and Madeline Olnick, Vanessa Gould, Josh Crockett, Aaron West, Natalie Ortiz, Ron Kovis, Lori Lusthouse, Sajiwa Ekonayaka, and Katie Bissinger, uh, all the great uh, and helpful subscribers of the uh, Patreon, which we just uh, basically activated about a month ago. And so I do appreciate that. And, you know, you cannot really... I am going to challenge you to, let's say, like how you would find a podcast that would have two segments like we're about to have where we have these incredible filmmakers um or i should say documentaries in one case actually we have the subject of the documentary moby doc moby himself is on the podcast and then after that great friend of the podcast heidi ewing who with her artistic partner rachel grady has made so many exceptional documentaries over the last couple of decades and she meaning Heidi, is now here to talk about her first narrative film, and it is a beautiful film, and uh, we'll get to that in uh, just a little bit uh, after we talk to Moby about this documentary that he collaborated with with, the, with this director, Rob Gordon uh, Bralver, with whom he has collaborated before on, a, on any number of uh, videos. So we're going to talk to Moby, which is great. He was delightful. Uh, again, this segment, as well as the one with Heidi, I should mention, are both available on the Filmwax Radio YouTube channel, which I call Filmwax TV. If you prefer to watch them, if you hear any growling or barking, it's because... Uh, okay, yes, there you go. I promised... Oh. You don't have to bark. That is uh, Bella, who is my son's dog. I am actually uh, visiting him in Los Angeles. So, okay. She's very, she gets very, very excited, stimulated by the sound of other dogs. And so that is what you might hear in the background. I apologize for that. Uh, Moby Doc is a surrealist, uh, surrealist Moby Doc is a surrealist biographical documentary narrated by Moby himself as he reflects on his turbulent personal life and iconic music from underground punk bands to chart-topping solo artist and from struggling addict to vegan activist. Featuring interviews with David Lynch and David Bowie, 
along with extraordinary concert footage utilizing a unique blend of reenactments, interviews, and archival. Audiences will be treated to an insightful, unvarnished look at an artist at an artist who has sold more than 20 million albums, an activist who has long championed animal rights, and a man whose traumatic childhood shaped him in profound ways. Right now, Moby Doc is playing on various streaming platforms and is also in select theaters. So check it out. Uh, don't miss it. It's terrific. Here it is. We'll, we'll listen to a little bit of the trailer, and then we'll go into my conversation with Moby, only here on Film Wax Radio. We think that if we have the right amount of money, if we have the right amount of recognition, we'll find perfect human happiness. But I tried, and it didn't work. My life as a musician has taken me to a lot of very odd places. I grew up with two very angry parents who were screaming at each other and drinking. At an early age, I found music. And then there was this day when I learned how to mix two records together. It was like magic. In 1990, I put out a song called Go. I thought it was fantastic. And a lot of other people thought that too. <laughs> All of a sudden, I had a big hit single. And every day I drank more. I started doing drugs. I was out of control. Then I learned my mom died. And I missed her funeral because I was in bed, drunk, passed out. Hello. Hi, how are you? How are you? Uh, I mean, generally speaking, I feel like I don't have a, a lot to complain about. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, apart from like age and mortality and baldness, et cetera. Um, yeah, I mean, the pandemic seems to be abating. Um, Mercifully. What's that? Mercifully, yes. Yeah, so like... Yeah. Generally speaking, um, mm -hmm. my 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 short-winded answer would be I'm fine. Well, I appreciate that you actually took the what typically is like one of those throwaway questions. How you doing? Fine, thanks. Moving on. But you actually took it like uh, literally, which I can appreciate. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're about more or less the same. I might be a little bit older than you, but I think we're pretty much the same generation. You know? So I, it was interesting because. Well, as I was watching Moby Doc, which, by the way, is a documentary about you, just so in case you're, I didn't know if you're aware. <laughs> and so anyway, I found it thoroughly entertaining. But also what surprised me in watching it was that it felt like here is this artful story. But at the same time, it was this is how I took my personal pain the emotional injuries that I, I sort of was carrying around with me. And this is how I healed it. And it was, seems like it's largely through doing good work, like selfless work, living a lifestyle that wasn't about being, you know, about yourself, but really turning that outward. And that was a healthy way, whether it's through animal activism, veganism, other charities, the, the, the program. Yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, well, especially as I started to become more of a public figure musician, like I wanted nothing more than to find happiness through selfishness. Uh, you know, and so, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, I did everything in my power to be as selfish as possible, you yeah. know, and whether it was my own ideas of selfishness, other people's ideas of selfishness. Like I kind of just bought into that, that idea that the key to happiness was, I don't know, was very self-involved, material and conventional. Um, but the, the wonderful thing is the more I pursued selfishness, almost paradoxically, the less happy I was. Mm -hmm. And at some point, well, in 2008, I finally had to admit to myself that my 
rabbit hole of alcoholism, drug addiction, materialism, promiscuity, selfishness, et cetera, I had just finally had to admit that the only, the end result of this basket of selfishness was misery, was anxiety, depression, sickness, et cetera. And so as hard as it was to admit, I had to realize like, okay, being a completely over the top selfish materialist addict just wasn't working. It wasn't making, it wasn't creating any happiness. And I had read an interview with the Dalai Lama, keeping in mind, I don't think of myself as a Buddhist, um, but I read an interview with the Dalai Lama and he said that one of the keys to happiness is service, you know, like having a purpose more than just quotidian selfishness. And then I did a bunch of 12 step work, which reinforced that idea that happiness comes when you're being less selfish and the evidence indicates that that is actually the case, you know, and also, sorry for rambling on. No, you're not. You know, we live, we live in a world where so many people are so consumed with selfishness and they all seem miserable. So if ever I question whether or not, you know, you know, unconstrained materialism and selfishness might not be a better way to live. I just look at the Trumps. I mean, like they are the poster children for materialism and selfishness. And they seem like the least happy people on the planet. Right. And, and they're spreading it around because they're very yeah. uh, selfless in that one way. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So wait, you had been collaborating with Rob Gordon, uh, Bra- Bra- Briver, Bra- how am I? Bralver. Bralver, thank you. I'm it's, sorry. It's a about weird that. last name, yeah. Well, no, more or less than my own, Shartok. But uh, and at least we have last names, Moby. Uh, I have one. I just uh, I know have I never know. actually used it. Yeah, it's worked well for you. So mm-hmm. you're obviously onto something. But but you guys have been you guys had collaborated a lot before, right? Can you just say like what were, you had written a couple of books? What was the seed here, like? Was it about sharing what you've discovered, what you kind of just described with, with a broader, even broader audience? Because books are reach readers. <laughs> you know, the, then there's mm-hmm. the rest of those folks out there who, you know, aren't reading as much. But um, I mean, really, like on one hand, I fully understand that writing two memoirs and helping to produce a documentary about me might seem like over-the-top narcissism or solipsism like um but there i'd say there's a twofold utility at least in my intention in doing you know making moby doc making writing the memoirs is first and foremost how much i've appreciated other people when they tell their story right especially people who are willing to tell their story and be honest in the process or at least aspire to honesty in the process And, you know, whether that's at 12 step meetings, whether that's, you know, other people's memoirs. And so I simply thought, well, I've been alive for a little while. I've had some odd experiences. I think I might have an at times interesting perspective. So why not try to share my story and maybe some of the things I've learned. So in the hope that one, it might connect with someone and, you know, maybe make them feel less alone, maybe then give them insights into their own issues or their own experiences. Uh-huh. Um, but then also the selfish side is narrative therapy, I'll mm-hmm. call it, you know, like, it's, you know, whether it's writing a memoir, um, making a movie is almost gaining a better understanding of myself by telling my story and by being forced to tell my story in a fleshed out way, you know, because as you know, it's one thing to like sit in a therapist's office and describe your story, but oftentimes there's no real narrative. There isn't much of a a narrative there. Whereas if I have to apply like critical narrative structural approaches to my story, it just simply makes me think about it differently and helps me gain more perspective on it. That makes sense. I mean, a lot of people journal but, you know, and then they might choose to do something maybe that reaches a larger audience because it, it's a way of connecting to humanity. It's uh, through 
the ups and downs, the the pain as well as the pleasures that you know we we experience. And you know, so journaling is a very healthy way of people kind of doing what you're describing. But you know, if they if there was a way to reach a large audience like you have because of fame, success, what have you, then they might choose to do that too. It's just a different and, different tool in the palette, uh, or you know, from the palette of. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that dialectic. Like, I've made a lot of art, journaling, what have you, that I have never shared with anyone, and the thinking around it is very different than you know, writing or film or music that you do share with someone. And when I've journaled in the past, like when I've kept journals in the past, they've been kind of vague, meandering. Um, Other people might be a lot better at keeping journals, but I've just done it in a really half-assed way. Mm -hmm. And when you're writing a book or making a movie, you can't really be that I guess you could be half-assed about it, but then no one would want to read your book or see your movie. And, sure. and it's the, the rigor that's sort of imposed by the process that actually is one of the things that has given me sort of an awareness and hopefully some insights that I wouldn't have otherwise had. Well, that's kind of going to the next question I had, I guess, you know, but yeah, you were in, got obviously the film came out it hits hit some did it hit like live festivals that were film festivals that were in in person or um no it's it's been in some theaters but in terms of festivals basically what happened was timing finishing the movie because i'd never finished a movie before yeah the process of finishing the movie was such a long complicated laborious process that by the time it was done we had to release it um and so we actually because as you might know i'm sure well i'm sure you know submitting to film festivals it you have to submit long before the festival happened right and we just simply so for better or worse we just didn't have the window in which we could even submit to different film festivals oh okay because uh, I was wondering if you did have some screenings, though, and if how those went, and maybe if you were approached by people, or if there were, like, I was wondering if people were responding to it, like, the connecting with the, your message, you know? Yeah, the only, the only public screening, I mean, again, because it's been in some theaters, but the only public screening we had was actually last Friday uh, wow. on a rooftop, a rooftop here in Los Angeles for a couple of hundred people, and people seem to really like the movie, but I think people were also thrilled at being social for the first time in 14 months. Right. So I might have definitely people's perspective on the movie might have been sort of informed by the thrill of actually being in a public setting for the first time in 14 months. I'm sure that's the case. Yeah. So you've had a very limited, perhaps other through maybe people, you know, I mean, I imagine strangers don't have access to you, but maybe through, I don't know, through social media, maybe you can see how people, because it's obviously something that's out there that could be very helpful, you know, to people and inspiring. So I was just wondering if, if you were being able to have any metrics for that at all. Uh, uh, only subjective, only, you know, doing interviews or, talking to people at that screening. Um, Cause I, about 10 or more years ago, I realized that in order to keep or keep whatever little bit of sanity I have, I can't read reviews. So I have like a categorical blackout um, or embargo on any way in which I might exist as a public figure. Meaning I don't read reviews. I don't watch myself on television. I don't listen to myself and sorry, no offense, but like, I wouldn't, if I do a podcast or do an interview, yeah, I just would never, I wouldn't this, read This it, one will be listen. an exception, I'm sure, because yeah. of, our, of our obvious bonding here, but uh, no, no, but I even, totally, but totally even the understand. Good ones, I think it's a good idea. Well, the good ones, because here's the, what I've learned is like the good, if, if it's a good review or a good article or a good podcast, that fuels my narcissism and self-involvement. And if it's bad, 
it makes me want to blow my brains out. So sure. I was like, wow, there's really no Wait benefit a to me ever reading anything that's written about me or paying any attention to how I exist in a public capacity. So I love my, my simple little ignorance, you know, like I, yeah. I go hiking, I read books, I work on music, uh, I work on different philanthropic things, but I don't, I don't have much of an awareness of how I might exist in the public sphere. Well, I totally understand. I actually wasn't even going to engage you about criticism because I don't see how it does help. And I myself don't write criticism because, first of all, while I respect good criticism, because it's doing more than just checking good or bad boxes, if it's, you know, if it actually has something to contribute as an art form. uh, But I I figure, you know, there's so much better writer. Why I wouldn't choose to read me because <laughs> I tried it for a while and I found it utterly like, you know, okay, I could put a thought together, but uh, this is silly. But whereas I, I enjoy talking to people, I enjoy kind of, mm-hmm. you know, engaging with people on a personal level. So I was actually really more interested in what people that reached you, maybe if the, if they had a, you know, a, a some sort of feeling about having seen the film and you know if they were moved by it or something if you had had been able to get some response in that way or is that also something kind of just sort of wouldn't like when you wrote your books maybe people approached you about have you know those who had read the book um yeah i mean books there books there's so much more actual information there yeah um and it's hard like and clearly the audience for books is a lot smaller um with the movie I'm trying to think there, I mean, people have, a few people I've spoken to have told me that they liked the movie and a few people have responded to very different aspects of of the movie. Sure. But, you know, again, there's, there's so much odd, random at times, you know, sort of psychedelic or surreal stuff in the movie. Right. It's hard. I think, it's hard for people to say like a blanket statement of like what specifically they responded to. I understand. And also it's been out for what, two weeks maybe and change, you know? Uh, I guess, yeah, it's been out and it's only out so far in the, in six English language, English speaking countries because the the, like subtitles and dubbing has not happened yet. And um, (laughs) so I guess it comes out in the rest of the world, you know, what, 120 some odd countries on July 30th. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Very good. But it is currently, at least in the, these six English speaking countries, at least it's, it's available probably on a streaming platform near them. Yeah. It, different. I mean, what I've learned is different countries have different primary streaming platforms. Like in the United States, it's Amazon and Netflix. iTunes. Yeah. Uh, I, in my ignorance as a film producer, I don't actually know what platforms it's on in other countries. Well, that's, yeah, uh, they'll know. <laughs> it's yeah. not that hard to find anymore. And it's called Moby Doc, and it's directed again by Rob Browver. Sure, th- that's exactly that how you're pronouncing it. That is not right. <laughs> it is not correct. I'm, I'm sorry. I actually was, um, I'm not home, and I'm in um, the lighting and everything else is throwing me off a little bit. My whole setup is a little separate, different than my normal setup. Mm-hmm. So uh, you weren't the only one kind of caught off guard. So, but <laughs> but but I did appreciate it, and I uh, just uh, the, for personal reasons, of course, as we I already said at the beginning, we are of kind of roughly the, born around the same time. So maybe some of my cinematic or yours are similar to mine because David Lynch, uh, of course, is like you know the Godfather um, in that way. And I, I'm just wondering what your connection was, and because he's like, is he maybe the only? I saw your the doc a couple of months ago, but I was wondering if you're if David Lynch was well. He's certainly primarily speaking, like maybe the only guest talking ahead, for lack of another word. Yeah. So originally, when we started working on the movie, we interviewed around fifty people, and then at some point a few years ago, Rob and I sort of decided that we wanted to make a music documentary unlike anything we'd seen which i know that might sound a little sort of self-aggrandizing or presumptuous but you know we thought that there's so many music documentaries and honestly they're very similar and i used to be a, a documentary judge for tribeca film festival oh yeah, yeah sure of course 
which is and for the international mm-hmm. and for the international documentary association so i've seen so many music docs and so rob and i just thought okay we want to do something different um let's see let's give ourselves that those marching orders like let's make something that's unlike anything we've seen and so sadly we had to jettison all of the interview footage we'd shot and then but then we thought okay you know if david lynch is willing to be in the movie we have to include david lynch which yeah. is why he's the he's the only person actually interviewed in the movie which you know because he and i have become friends and also as you sort of alluded to like he is very in a very practical real way the godfather of american surrealist film i mean there have clearly been a lot of other american surrealists but like i can't think of anyone else who has incorporated so much experimental filmmaking and surrealist ethos and approaches into phenomenally commercial that's right narrative and storytelling yeah yeah it's it's he should never have in a million years been a commercial or you know mainstream filmmaker somehow or other something's aligned planets aligned i don't know what happened but against all odds he became like this personality you know yeah i guess um in his case hard work uh being in the right place at the right time and also you know i guess he got that early break you know because he made a racer head which clearly if you watch a racer head you don't think that his next step would be to make you know an academy award winning movie but the next thing he did was the elephant man and you know which one i believe it it was certainly nominated for oscars for academy awards Mm -hmm. um and that really is i think sort of like what introduced him to the world of commercial filmmaking and enabled him to make blue velvet enabled him to make twin peaks etc um but yeah dune What's that? I said instead of being Dune in this case, because he also made Yeah, that. I mean, Dune definitely, yeah. like, yeah. if I, I just rewatched it, there's some oh, really? really wonderful elements, and boy, oh boy, are there some just oh, mind-bogglingly terrible elements as well. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is fascinating. I mean, I'm really, I'm, I'm trying to think of someone else who has had a successful commercial career as a filmmaker who has steeped themselves so much in experimentation and surrealism. No, I don't think so. I really can't. No one comes to mind. Not like yeah. that. You know, but I'm glad he was in it. It was great to see him. So it was great to see him. So yeah. I mean, and he's, he's living a delightful life. He, spends most you know seven days a week just working in his little studio painting writing drawing editing playing music hanging out with his child um so he's yeah he's a he's i think probably in a very very happy place <laughs> that's good and i uh, also even though we're talking about the moby about moby doc which is available on various platforms streaming platforms hit that doc that he made a couple of years ago the david lynch his that sort of autobiographical film the documentary that was made about David Lynch. Oh, was I know that there was a documentary made about him and about transcendental meditation. I didn't actually see that. But well, as this one as... was really about his, his coming up as an artist, like as a oh. painter and as a, you know, as a, yeah. Wow, I don't actually, I, I feel like an incredibly ignorant interview <laughs> subject slash friend of David Lynch because I didn't, even, I wasn't even aware of it. Well, I'm going to tell you the name of it. I'm, I'm, uh, if I can do this, uh, I'm wasting your time, but, uh, I think you'll love seeing this movie. I should remember these things off the top of my head. Shame on me, but, um, uh, we'll wind it down and thank you for, for coming on the video. I appreciate that. Okay. It's called, I'm wrong about the title. I don't know where I pulled that off. Maybe it was the Patty Smith title. I was thinking David Lynch, the art of life. Please hmm. see it because you'll love. I think you'll really enjoy it. Okay, I'll watch it. It's, he didn't direct it, but he. It's it's just him, you know, and it's, he's got there's home movies, I believe, and there's. It's really it's really remarkable. It's a great document. Very very good, and it, I think it did very well. Hmm. It's like two years ago, maybe came out. 
Okay. That's my, came out in 2017. You were probably busy making this film. That's probably what it was. Anyway, I look forward to one day crossing paths with you. And I wish you a lot of luck with the film and the rollouts on July, you said July 17th? Oh, no, the, it's, well, it's out in, it's currently out yes. in Australia, New Zealand, United States, Canada, Anna. Scotland, Ireland, uh, England, and it comes out in the rest of the world July 30th. 30th, I'm sorry, July 30th. Yeah. So maybe what I'll do at that time is I'll do another round of whatever I can do another round of. Okay. I'll promote the film, but it was really nice to talk to you. And I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, great. Well, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. By the way, just curious, where are you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. I, I meant to share. I, I'm actually up in the Hudson Valley right now, and I'm kind of meandering my way down into the city tonight. I'm going to take the train down to New York City. And then I'm actually going to, other than a little foray on Father's Day, I'm going to be uh, going to Los Angeles. So I'm not going to be too far from you, actually. Oh. As of so where in the, where in the Hudson week. Valley are you? Well, I live in uh, near Bard. Mm-hmm. So near Red Hook and Rhinebeck and that area. Are you familiar yep. with it? Uh, but right now I'm a little further south. I'm in Cold Spring. Oh, nice. Okay, so you can take Metro North then. Yeah, which is what I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Well, have a good weekend, and it was a real pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate it. Same here. Okay, bye-bye. All right, All right take care. Bye-bye, Moby. Everything I'd ever wanted had been given to me, and I'd never been more depressed. Deep down, we assume that if anyone looks too closely, they'll be repelled. I was working on this album, Play, and it just sounded terrible to me. Slowly but surely, everybody who discovered the music felt like there was something special there. It started off small, and then it just kept selling more. I was able to take the fear and make it beautiful. None of this was expected. Making music has been baffling, confusing, but wonderful. like hyperbole but music saved me as i mentioned before i've had heidi on a couple of times i think i think probably twice i i i I am too lazy to bother looking but i i i've 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 had on between her and her artistic partner rachel grady you know i think they were on for their great documentary Detropia, and um, I'm, I'm, I, you know, they've made so many other wonderful documentaries, including Jesus Camp and Love Fraud, and 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 uh, countless others. So I, I recommend watching any or all of the documentaries you can find that Heidi has had her hands on. But this is a, an interesting project because this is her debut as a narrative filmmaker. The film I Carry You with Me follows a tender romance spanning decades, starting in provincial Mexico and continuing as first Ivan and then Gerardo journey towards sharing a life together in New York City. The film traces both men in lies from their childhoods in Mexico through the decisions that lead them into adulthood. Ivan, an aspiring chef and young father, hopes to secure a spot in a restaurant's kitchen while supporting his child, but the discovery of his relationship with Gerardo causes conflict, and in despair he makes the arduous choice to cross the border into the United States, promising his son and his soulmate Gerardo that he will return. So this this, this film is so timely because it deals with such subjects as uh, LGBT um, and immigration and the economy. And, you know, it's also an interesting, because she, she shot these two men who are in New York City and who are friends of hers in a verite style, following them and their story in New York City uh, in the current time. And then, in order to fill in the gaps of their background and their history together, which she heard about through them anecdotally, she recreated their story using actors, Mexican actors, and in Mexico, shot in Mexico. So it's really this 
interesting hybrid of a film. But it's a term that's used a lot these days. But here it is used so effectively. I, I had to say I was very moved by the film. I saw it at the New York Film Festival, even though it was a big hit at Sundance. It won several awards. It's had a great trajectory, and now Sony Pictures Classics has bought it to distribute it, and it will be in theaters and uh, streaming as of Friday, today, the 25th, in New York City, in some major cities. It will roll out across the nation over the weeks in July, and um, I'm, I'm encouraging you to see it in a theater because you can. Hey, how about that? Okay, well, so here it is. This is uh, Heidi Ewing returning to Filmwax Radio after a long time welcoming her back with open arms and um uh here she is to talk about i carry you with me only on film wax radio otra vez tu este sueño estoy en méxico mi casa me doy cuenta de que no puedo regresar. ¿Cuándo lo puedo volver a ver? Ya necesita unos tenis nuevos. Tomaste también. I was going to surprise you with that. I we, I know because of the Instagram. Didn't we talk about it? Oh, maybe we did. And I just, all the fresh air is, 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 is messing with my brain. It's a nice to say. Are you, are you in the, I'm not going to say the name of the town. Uh, are you in the Hudson Valley? No. Oh, you're not? Delaware County. Oh, Delaware County. Okay. That's still reasonably close. Well, let's just leave it there. But yeah, I'm like uh, near Bard, that area. Uh-huh. You know, there's a ton of documentary filmmakers that are up in my area. I keep running into them at the Harper store. <laughs> Is that true? What, like who? I ran into Morgan Spurlock and Sarah Bernstein at the Harper store. I ran oh, that's into crazy. Apple at the Farmer's Market. Um, who? Molly, who runs Apple TV for Docs. Oh. Okay. So this is what you're saying is you might find distribution in a hardware store if you're lucky shopping. enough. I was shopping for a new hose. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Hey, hi. Hi. I saw <laughs> I saw your new film. It's called Te Llevo Comingo, or for our English-speaking listeners or watch viewers, I Carry You With Me, which... I enjoyed very much. Thank you very much. I saw it at the New York Film Festival in my living room. Mm. But I saw it again last night. Oh, good. Yeah. And I, I was just going to kind of, you know, peruse it, you know, like kind of refresh. Couldn't do it. Had to watch the whole thing. It's, it's so good. Well, first, let's get out of the way. I Carry You With Me will be in select theaters as of June 25th in New York and Los Angeles. And then it's going to have a national rollout in July. Yes, a rollout, a real rollout in a city near you. Sony Pictures Classics is bringing this movie across the country. They're really making a push for it. Yeah. That's nice. Okay, well, Heidi Ewing, how long have you been a closeted narrative feature filmmaker? How long have you been fantasizing about making this film or a film that's not a documentary? Oh, my God, I'm a closeted narrative filmmaker anymore maybe i was um i've never fantasized about making a narrative in my life um but now i want to make more uh no i never looked at documentary as like a stepping stone or a way to make fiction i think some people have in the past i think those days are all because docs are so popular but um 
I wanted to tell the story. I, I, I thought it was a great story. When my friends told me their story, their life story, this is a great story. This is a great love story. Um, it was illuminating. Uh, it was an illuminating look um, at the immigrant experience that I had never, ever considered. Um, there was warmth and tenderness. It was going to be highly visual and it couldn't be a doc, a straight doc. There's just, I didn't, it was, that meeting in the bar and the romance and the crossing of the desert and um, their childhoods and, and their encounters with their fathers and chapas and like, no, no, I, I, it was like either switch it to a narrative, write the movie uh, or don't make it because I, I didn't think it would be excellent. So that's what happened. It sounds like you start seeing it play out in your head. So maybe you just realized because of that, the visual you were visualizing this as a feature and you're like, it's not a doc. But another filmmaker might have said, let me find a, a narrative filmmaker to do this film and I'll write it or something. But you decided it had to be intimidating, in other words, to direct this. You're directing actors in Spanish, I might add, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and I know you're fluent, but still that. It's not my first language. No. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not Latinx uh, either. Uh, I'm from Detroit and I'm uh, definitely a white girl. So yes, that was a lot of, a lot. Um, these are my good friends. Like they weren't looking for someone to tell their story. Like there was no, like, I'm going to write it and have someone direct. And there was like, none of that was going to happen. There's no way I would ever give up control of the story because they're my close friends and I, I wouldn't do that. Uh, so it was, was it intimidating. Yes. I was more like, this is a better, I realized like Heidi, this is better as a narrative. And then I was like, Shit. why? like now I got to do that. I was like, I, you know, I bought final draft pro and I was like, okay, now I'm halfway there. No, bucks. <laughs> it's, um, it's almost in the can. Uh, <laughs> I wrote some really bad first drafts. It's so funny because in documentary we're like, Oh, someone should tell us this and like how do they feel about that thing they should wrap up the scene and say well that was the last time i would do i mean you it, it's it's built on you know you're scripting out people's inner thoughts they're telling you what they are a lot of the time now we make cinema verite rachel and i make observational cinema we try to do everything we can with show not tell however you know some of my instincts writing were like you know they, they, the guys meet in one night uh, in the, the earlier script, Gerardo was like, you know, I'm going to tell you the story. When, you know, when I was 10, I was sleeping in bed and my, my father came into my room and he ripped me out of bed and he threw me in the truck and he took me to a field and he threw me in the field and I was in my pajamas and my bare feet and he threatened to kill me because I'm too effeminate or I, he thinks I'm gay. It's a very powerful story. It was a very powerful story when he told it to me, when I filmed it, the interview, but imagine seeing the 10 year old child, we pull out of bed and get in the truck and go to the field. Like yeah. that's a different thing. Right. That needed to happen. So, so there you have it. So I, I was like, why am I writing him, telling him all these stories? I could just cast a 10 year old and shoot the scene. You can't do that in doc. The mentality is scarcity. What do I have in front of me? What would I, what yeah, but I'm not, trying to get at like you were resisting or you kept want you know you were trying to figure out how to make a documentary of it although you may have a little bit I mean but it I'm I'm saying after maybe 20 years I'm just I picked that number arbitrarily but let's say 20 years of documentary filmmaking you know all of a sudden now you've you you, you took on this and 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 people will have chance to see a little bit of the, the trailer at the beginning but but uh, uh, I'm like, I feel like you're just unraveling uh, all of a sudden, you know, as, as an artist. And like, this is like, you know, but I think you just saw it in your head or something. And you, you no. did realize that you couldn't do this through the documentary way. But it was just like, it wasn't intimidating, your initial question. Barry, uh, was I terrified to work with actors? That was the thing I was most terrified of. Not the technical, not the big crew, not not the framing. No, 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 no. Working with actors, I was like, that's terrifying. I, actors are terrifying people. And um, 
So what I did was I found this coach, this directing actress coach. Her name was Adrienne Weiss. She lives in New York. I was like, I don't know how to do this. And I took like months and months of classes and figured out like, yeah. Wow. Of like, let me practice on other people with others. Mm. No, no, no. I mean, it's a, I've actually passed her on to a few of my friends um, who are documentary filmmakers making their first narratives. And it's helpful just to give you a basket of tools, just to try it, just to see you can't right. be more sad. Yeah. Gotta bring them a place. So, um, so no, I, you're right. I was that was the most intimidating part for me. Actually, was the idea that I would have to be directing actors, and 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 of course, yes, in a culture that's not my own, in a country I don't live in, and in, in Spanish. So those that was the number one fear that I had, and I do feel like awakened as an artist. I have to say because of so many stories that I I I might have wanted to tell that I would put aside because they wouldn't make a good documentary, which is most things that come my way. You don't have to just put it away. You can say, well, maybe this should be a narrative. I think it would be a wonderful narrative. So it opened up all the stories that um, I might be able to tell. Uh, and that, I gotta tell you, that is a real, that's exciting to me. By the way, you may or may not know, Marshall Curry directed a narrative. It was a short, but I think he won an Oscar. That right. doesn't matter. Just it's just out there. He's a documentary filmmaker. Um, well, transitioning right now, a, a bunch of people. Liz Garbus did it, and um, you know, there's I know it's a it's, Roger Ross doing it right now. So it's a moment, yeah, right? I think Morgan Neville is doing it, but I could be wrong. Oh, I, I I wouldn't be surprised. He's got all those wonderful visual skills. So it's about these two young gay Mexican men who. Uh, one of whom, uh, one is a, ch- a, a burgeoning chef, wants to make it, and he feels limited. He moves. He decides he's going to what they call cross over, meaning immigrate illegally to the United States. And then, the, and his uh, that's uh, Yvonne, right? Yes. And he's a dad. Yes. Uh, and then there is Gerardo, who is uh, his lover, who is a teacher and, um, you know, ends up also, you know, but I also, you said, you know, you were figuring out how to make the film and, it, and it's, you know, the time, the time frames are changing uh, throughout the film. We're going from past to present and further past and back to present. And, and it's, it's not so hard to follow because, you know, there's two characters and we, we, we understand so it's not that it's 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 a really nice way to structure the film. And now the final portion of the film for more for intense purposes or chronologically speaking is Gerardo and Yvonne's time in New York City. Yeah. Right. And they're succeeding at life. They're right. Economically, socially, what have you. Uh, the restaurant is blowing up. It's it's they have a great successful re- are those two guys the actual Gerardo and or or those actors Gerardo and Yvonne or are those actors? I I wasn't clear. Are you asking me this? What? Are you at your you? Wow. Yeah. No, those are not actors. Those that is that is cinema verite observational documentary material I shot of them. Oh, so they were having a party. That was the opening of Zona Rosa. Oh, okay, it was all right. I. Thought it might. I thought they were reenacting, but I, I, I thought when I was reading it was that it was the, them, but I, I just couldn't believe it. No reenactments. This is observational cinema that I captured uh, over many years, and I built the script knowing that I would eventually integrate those moments, hoping I would integrate the moments. I didn't want to cast men to play them in their forties. I thought that what I had gotten was it was just more. Now, okay. Now I'm. I'm connecting much more with what you were talking about before, because in a sense, all the other backstory is, is in a way reenactments, even though it's, it's theatrical, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. Based on a true story. So it's not a reenactment. It's a, it's a scripted movie based on a true story and, you know, based adhering pretty strongly to what happened in their lives. Yeah. I understand. I, I was kind of using that word a little, you know. I with the, mean it in the in the in the in the narrative sense. I just that word is always so affiliated with documentary. Yeah, it is um, basically um, their life 
as they told it to me through my own interpretation. And then it, at one point in the movie, it catches up and you are actually watching the real, the real Gerardo who lived here in Brooklyn and um, who I saw yesterday. And Oh yeah. How was the Tribeca screening? It was, uh, we mentioned it was at, uh, oh, well, I already said it was at the New York Film Festival, but it actually premiered at the Sundance Film Festival 2020, yeah. right? Which was like the end of the film festival season. And, the, and then the world fell apart. It, it went oh. to won the jury and audience award in the next section. Sony Pictures Classics acquired it. The world ended. We had six different release dates, including last June. <laughs> right. I've been literally telling my friends for like a year that it was going to happen. And at one point I was like, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Um, and that we made this film and no one's going to ever see. And then um, Sony was super patient. They're like, no, we, we, we need to give this film a chance theatrically because it's just, it'll just die on the vine if we just drop it online. They were right. And um, so now Pride Month, which is amazing, it's opening you know, next week. So it's totally surreal. And the actors are so excited because it's opening in Mexico July 8th. So that, you know, they, they get to enjoy it as well. Well, that is quite a national rollout. It's so national, it's international. It's like, uh, so wait, but we, we opened at Sundance, but you didn't, we didn't say that it won the audience award. It was the audience award winner. Went on to AFI Fest. And then, of course, the New York Film Festival. And now it just had a screening at Tribeca. Yeah. How'd that go? It was, it was at the Vessel. It was super weird. It was like, it looked like it was playing in front of a spaceship. It was all outdoors and everyone in pods. It was super windy. People were walking by with ice cream cones, like strangers watching it. It was cool. It was like, it, it was, I told Michael Barker, I said, oh my God, this is such a weird way to see a movie. He brought Sony Pictures Classics. He goes, Heidi, think, think of it as Cinema Paradiso. <laughs> cinema Paradiso. Okay, I'm going to think of it like, that was a really good way to look at it. So, it was good. People can go to um, icarryyouwithmemovie.com or find out details of how to get tickets, how to see it. But I'm glad they, I'm really actually, you know, I'm also, I, I'm glad, I think this really has, uh, it should be seen by a lot of, you know, a large audience because it's it's so of the moment. Because it deals with immigration, as you, as you already mentioned, deals with uh, LGBT, it's Pride Month, it so happens. So the timing in, in a number of ways is, is really right right in the moment. So I'm glad a lot of people have the opportunity to see it. And on the big screen, because it's so beautiful. Thank you. Every shot I imagined for the big screen. So I was always, that was always the hope. And it was almost dashed. So I just, Adam, I feel super lucky, honestly. Like after everything we've been through to have a film, you know, play in theaters. I mean, come on. It's, I'm, I'm really thrilled about it. Yeah. That's it. Uh, I was going to ask you if Gerardo and Irvine saw it and loved it, but uh, you already answered that. That's got to be right there. The the most important part for you. Yeah, I show. I remember showing it to them in their kitchen on a laptop, like a rough cut or no, a fine cut. It was almost done. It was like silence after. They were so shocked and overwhelmed. I bet. More times, like in a screening room, and on uh, the next couple of days, and they they love it. They really feel like it represents their trajectory and then mom's got to see it in Mexico and you know it's just like a big old emotional ride every time you know well it's nice it's nice to know their families have come around to uh sounds like they're very they're okay and they're comfortable potential or far more than you know with this these guys and their lives they chose to you know live and and as we talk this morning I got the news that the Supreme Court was backing this Catholic agency's uh, decision to deprive uh, same-sex couples of uh, adoption in Philadelphia. So the and the Supreme Court uh, over uh, all all voted for that. So every time you take a step forward, is what happens. Well, you know, I think a lot of people, um, you know, are going about their lives as people do, and they think, well, we've got Pete Buttigieg, we have Will and Grace, it's all good. Like. <laughs> thing is gone you know <laughs> discrimination against right. you know and and there was like more hate crimes in mexico last year than they have been in years against uh lgbtq plus community it's not over here either so i mean i think it's like it's we have to it's it's just we don't have to do anything but we should it's good to remember and i think this this movie sort of hints at it that 
you know, all is not always well. Uh, you know, we, there's a lot of progress we could still make. Part of the reason Nevada Morero came here so they could enjoy the social freedoms of New York City that they could not enjoy in Puebla. Next. It's well. a great deal of consternation. I mean, the end of the movie, as you see it, is exactly the end of today. Should yes. When should I go? I'm afraid to go. I need to go. What have I missed? It's exactly as the movie ends is where we are two years after. I made right. It. Well, you said this is real. You were shooting these guys. Uh, I, was the young man in the uh, on the phone in the video, you know, in the FaceTime, whatever it was, was that him? The son? No. no so that's an actor. Okay. Yeah. That would be kind of weird. If you wanted to protect and we had to be careful about it. It was a, it was a easier, it was a cleaner decision to yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Okay. I got to also ask, what did Rachel uh, think of the film? Oh, <laughs> Rachel's been so great. She's coming to the opening next week. She was at Sundance. Um, super proud, super happy to see me get it done because it was ruminating and percolating and for so many years. And she, mm. she knows me and like, I needed to do this. And um, like hell or high water, and uh, it was a movie that should not have gotten made. Um, it's in Spanish. It is. Um, I'm a first-time narrative filmmaker. It's very hard to get the subject matter made. So, like, the fact that it got made at all is it was already something, and then the fact that it's getting attention and love. Like, it's she's super happy for me. She really is. I believe you. Goodbye. No, thank you. <laughs> Let you get. Do you ever go? Are you going to be going to that new cinema in Socrates? Oh, right. Um, well, these upstate guys, they're Paul. opening. Paul yeah. Sturtz. And yeah, you know them. Of course you do. And, and Jason uh, Silverman, I think. And uh, I was, I've been helping a little bit with that. Oh, you have? Yeah, because I'm, I'm like, uh, well, Paul is not in the same town. So it's, it's, it's a small little... Uh, there's so many filmmakers in the Hudson Valley and Delaware. Like it's, I'm like 45 minutes from you guys. I couldn't find anything I afforded. I couldn't afford anything in Ulster, dude. I couldn't. It was like it was, it was by the time we started looking, it was already pandemic. No, 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 no. Oh, so it was quick. We just took possession of the house nine weeks ago. Oh wow. Okay. Because uh, yeah, somebody was. I was talking to somebody. Maybe, and they. I thought that you were closer by, but okay. What? Okay. Well. Let's say thank you, and then I just you can tell me the town. But thank you; it was great to talk to you and catch up. And... I always love talking to you. Aww, do it. Fun, okay. casual. Dale, no. Tengo que irme a otro lado. Allá Necesito sacarme adelante a mí. Pasó más de un año desde que te fuiste. Tienes que olvidarte de mí por un rato. Cuando sueñas todo pasa muy rápido. Pero el sueño americano ocurre en cámara lenta. Tarda años. Yo vine aquí para lograr algo. No dejes de confiar en mí. Thank you everybody for listening. Again, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash filmwaxradio. And you can also do us another big favor by leaving us star ratings and reviews on either Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to uh, certainly the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash filmwaxradio. And you can follow us and like us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And, uh, you know... We're here. Engage with us, you know, and let us know what you think of the show, of various episodes. Uh, it means a lot to me, a, a great deal. Anyway, I'm going to sign off. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week, of course, of course, with a brand new episode. In the meantime, do check out. There's more video content on YouTube. Thank you so much. Until next time, take care of yourselves and the ones you I'll love. say goodbye. To all my sorrow And by tomorrow I'll be on my way I guess the Lord must be 
تو